When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Pat Williams. Pat, how are we doing, man? Good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Excited for training camp to get started in uh, a couple weeks. And um, yeah, just kind of going with the flow in that sense. September, it, it's its its own kind of slow. Yeah. Different from August, but it's its own kind of... This is the epitome of, is it October yet, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, August is... A complete dead zone. Mm-hmm. This is there are signs of life kind of stirring a little bit, but uh, it's still quiet, especially I think at the HL level where you know things don't really get moving until October when you get that assignment, that first wave of players that are assigned by the NHL team out of training camp. So, uh, in, in, in the AHL at, the, at this level, there's a nothing happens and then everything happens kind of last minute, right? With your roster, and that's that's. Mm-hmm. The challenge, right, for coaches, you get you know you get your 20, 25 players, you know, uh, a week to ten days before the season opener, and you have to try to somehow mold it into something semi cohesive, uh, you know, that in that time frame. Absolutely, and you know, given where we're at, and with all that you said, and kind of the the halt on AHL centric news today, we're going to talk about sort of breakout candidates you could see the NHL camp. Um, some ideas for maybe the all-star game revamping it, some big picture stuff. And another topic that we'll start with here is winning attendance and all that fun stuff at the AHL level. So for, for context, the Chicago Wolves situation brought a bit of debate uh, to the Twitter circles or forefront because a lot of it started with, obviously there's that article by Tony Adoroticus of Inside AHL Hockey where Wendell Young uh, discussed and kind of, aired out some dirty laundry of Chicago's viewpoint of the whole situation and whatnot. And there was two kind of responses to it. The first was, okay, um, of course, you know, one camp, of course the Carolina affiliate would be upset that their AHL affiliates doing this. Then the other, you know, thought is, well, for Chicago, they're trying to um, win and all these things and, and put a good product on the ice. And what I thought was really interesting. So Sean O'Brien, friend of the show, really good analytics guy. He put out a, a graph, which I thought was a neat concept um, of showing the attendance figures correlating with good teams in the AHL. Is it a perfect measure? Probably not. I think that a sample size could have been longer and all those things, but it's a good benchmark. But I think you made a tweet, Pat, that was really interesting. And it, it was about how, you know, independently owned teams, whether there's a correlation or not, like there, there's a definite want and desire for these ownership groups to put out a winning product. And I'd love for you to expand on that as we kick off this conversation. There's two parts of it. Number one, let's put yourself in the shoes of of an owner. You've invested millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, not only into buying a franchise, but into the operating costs and everything. And you, 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 these guys obviously are wealthy, but they're not, they're not NFL or NHL owner wealthy, right? Like 
there, there's a limit, right, to how much uh, money that they have to put out there, number one. There are much better ways, if it's strictly a financial aspect or that you're looking at, to, to place to park your money or to invest or spend your money than, than a hockey team, especially at the minor league level. Mm-hmm. So there's something else that drives them, right? Winning is a big part of that. Um, you know, and especially you look at Chicago, David, for really from the time they came into business in 1994 in the old IHL, it was winning first and foremost. That's what drives them. That's what motivates them. Second part of that is winning helps drive attendance. You know, and people can sit there and they can argue that, but that's the belief. And there's Right. You're not saying that there's like a correlation. You're saying that this is what these people who are making the decisions with their money are striving for. Yeah. What do you prioritize? If it's your money, if if you're investing this kind of money and you have this money on the line and if you make the wrong decisions, your investment loses money. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're prioritizing. You're, you're looking at things you're crunching numbers. Remember, the people behind the scenes there, the ownership and obviously the front offices, they, they have access to a lot more data than anybody out here in the public does. They know, they know what's, what's putting people in the building, right? They, you know, they do the surveys, they do the, uh, but I wonder too, Pat, numbers. but Pat, I guess to play devil's advocate, I wonder if maybe winning doesn't have a direct correlation with attendance figures per se, maybe game presentation and price points affect that. But I think maybe the better way to phrase it would be that for ownership, for independent owners, winning is the goal, right? Is that, would that be a fair, happy medium? And we also have to define winning, right? Do we mean winning a Connor cup? No, I think we we mean mean being content, being a a relevant, a competitive product on the ice, not being thumped every night. Yeah. I mean, and we've all been in a building where the home team is getting thumped. Right, and it's third period. It's ten minutes ago. It's six one. The building's emptied out. There's no atmosphere. It's horrible. Yeah, it's dead. Is that what you want? Your, I mean, how many of those people? Do you, if you do that enough, how many of those people come back? And I mean, I, I come back to 2015, 16. That was my last year covering a team. You know, you know, covering uh, you know the beat side. Uh, you know, from a team aspect, the Moose, and that was a team that lost 50 out of 76 games. Yeah. And there were a lot of nights, a lot of afternoons there where that building was dead, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, let's say you're a fan and you, you get to the game, you know, maybe, you know, you're running behind. You get there, you know, 10 minutes in the first period. And, and, and <laughs> you look up at the scoreboard, the team's, the home team's down 2 nothing, 3 nothing. Right? Like, you're already pl- plotting your exit. Yeah, it's just, it's a bad atmosphere, right? Like, and, and nobody's saying you got to, you know, win a Calder Cup every year, but you know, you look at the teams that, that draw the best, the Hershey, uh, Chicago, Providence, uh, Grand Rapids, uh, Milwaukee, perennially competitive teams every year. Syracuse, obviously another one. Uh, you know, the Moose, you know, you know, when they were an independently owned team, they mm-hmm. had to win, right? Like you can't, you can't sell, especially in a bigger market, you can't sell losing minor league hockey. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, they, and in Chicago's case, look at what Chicago's up against. You've got the NFL, you've got the NBA, you've got two major league baseball teams, you've got major league soccer. But is that who they're against? Aren't they against? But 
I think that's a tier of their own. I think they'd be against the Chicago Dogs, the baseball team. Like, I think they're against- sure. They're, they're against all of it. And they're, you know what you're also up against? You're against somebody saying, you know what? It's just easier to stay home and sit, sit on my uh, sofa, put on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and keep the kids busy that way. Right. Like, sure. Rather, especially like you think. So I, I have talked to some people that work in the minor league baseball side of things. And one of the things that they can sell, even if the team is terrible, you can sell a night out on a summer night. Yeah. You know, you're sitting outside, nice weather, you drink a beer or whatever. It's a little different in, let's say, in a cold weather town in the middle of December, January. Sure. The kids have school the next day. It's a Wednesday night, right? Like, you have to have something that is compelling. I agree. And, and it, you know, you look at Chicago, for example. How many Carolina Hurricane fans are in Chicago? <laughs> I mean, none. So your player development isn't going to sell things. Like oh, some places development can be an angle, right? Like let's say you're in Providence. Well, there's a ton of crossover with Boston Bruins fans. Yeah. Or, or the Marlies or, or the Jets and the Moose or what have you. But like Chicago, there's no, there's no. I think if you look at like Syracuse and Milwaukee, right. Where those two clubs have been able to have a good working relationship with their NHL affiliate for the sole reason that, both parties believe that a winning culture, a winning atmosphere, like at the, is going to be the best serve. Like, there's been a situation. I talked to to former AHL GMs, current ones too, actually, where they've said we've all been in a situation where you're forced to put a kid in the lineup that is not good enough. Period, and it's something they don't want to do. It's probably not a culture setter, like all these things. And I think that there's a very fair argument there. But I think with Milwaukee and to end, uh Syracuse, that sort of relationship is built on the fact that they're both trying to ice a good hockey team mm -hmm. and they're not trying to, you know, just go like cut corners with that. And that's how it works for both sides. For Chicago's vantage point, you know, it does make sense in some degree to be upset with like having to totally change the way that they approach things based off, you know, Joe Smith or whoever, some Jane Doe, John Doe, whatever, um, needing more minutes. Right, especially when it's only a half affiliation, so yeah. that it should be considered as well. I think. Well, and, and and it's good that you bring up Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee, Nashville. So that goes back to 1998. That was Nashville's first year in the NHL. Nashville's had remarkable stability in the front office there. David Boyle there until this past summer. Um, Milwaukee itself has a very stable front office, so that that relationship didn't just happened by by happenstance or magic like it took years and years and years of building that trust building that uh set of common values common goals um and, and getting that relationship uh to the place where you know both sides feel valued in the relationship and uh, and have a stake in things same thing with syracuse tampa like they've not mm. been together since what was that? Uh, 2012. So, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of time and, and, and trust invested. Um, and there's still know, development and, happening, right? The coaches crawl still development, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I and mean, and, 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 and nobody's saying that you, you sacrifice development, but, but I mean, winning does matter. It matters for a lot of things and it just matters. You know, I think sometimes in hockey, we just focus on the on ice aspect of it, but like it matters 
Also, you don't want a losing culture. Period. Selling tickets, selling oh, sure. jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting groups, uh, group sales. I mean, like nobody wants to go to a building where the home team is terrible mm-hmm. every year. Like you yeah. know, you can get by one year here and there with it with, with an off year, but like you know, as, again, I come back to that year with the Moose and like, oh my gosh, like yeah, it was, it was a ghost town. <laughs> it was painful. Days. Totally, it's just painful to watch, and you're just like, what am I watching here? Like. Uh, and if you're thinking that from above, it's like, why would the casual fan want to take that in? So I think you make a good point there. Yeah, exactly. Um, now let's switch over to some September sweethearts. We're going to highlight three Fords that we think could, you know, really surprise people this year. They may not make the team. They very well won't. But three guys that will come in and maybe make some noise uh, at the preseason. Because, Pat, I'm sure you can agree. A lot of the time, the call-ups you see around December or November and you know, early on the guys that catch fire in the fall in the HL, they usually had a pretty good camp. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's when you, that's when you make your impression. And even if you get cut, like, like a lot of times the message is go down, dominate in the AHL. You're going to be our first call up. Mm-hmm. You, absolutely. You, you hold up your end of the bargain. And we'll, we'll meet you there because injuries are going to happen. Right. So totally. And um, it, it, it's a smart player that goes down. And takes those, you know, that that those words to heart, and says, "All right, I'm going. I'm going to show you that I belong in the NHL." Exactly. It's how you they figure out their depth and who their fifth and sixth line is, if you will. The first one, John Luke Foodie, Colorado Avalanche, played nine games with the Abs last year. Had a very good season with the Eagles. There's room at center. You know, they have mm-hmm. McKinnon lock for number one C. But then after there, like they got Ryan Johansson. Could he be a second-line center? Absolutely. Ross Colton, but he's also a winger. It depends where they want to put him. And, you know, there's Ben Myers up there. But the point being, there's definitely a room for a guy like Foodie who plays a pretty responsible two-way game uh, to crack that lineup, right? It, mm-hmm. it could come down to, okay, he's one of the best 12 players, but he's waiver-eligible, and we want him to be uh, back down for one more year, playing top minutes. That could very well happen. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that he really turns on the Jets, and he had a taste of it this year, but I think we could see even more NHL games this upcoming year. Yeah, and, and, the, and the challenge for young players is, you know, it's kind of the old, you know, medical uh, adage, first, do no harm. Mm-hmm. First, don't screw up, you know? Yeah. Then, I mean, that that's your first goal as a young player is you come up and don't make a mistake. And I think that that mentality has changed a little bit. I mean, it used mm-hmm. to be hard and fast. Uh, now I think there is a little bit more of, flexibility and patience with young players, but uh, it's up, up until a point. And so that your, your first goal as a young player, you come up is to not make a mistake. And then once you sort of establish that trust with the coach, then you can come in and try to actually contribute, you know, kind of beyond that. So uh, that's the challenge for a lot of players. That's where a lot of young players end up kind of getting tripped up and, mm-hmm. um, and but it's a, you make a good point about Foodie. That's you know he's a player that that is you know, pretty reliable. And it, you know he's worked the last uh, three years there with Greg Cronin, who's now in Anaheim. You know really kind of rounding out that that part of his game and, and, and getting that uh, reliability up to a to a, to a to a high level. And, and that's what you're going to have to, especially coming into a, a situation like the Avalanche, right? Like that's a team that they have high aspirations and. Um, they don't need you to come in and you're not going to try to like displace Nathan McKinnon or something. Right. And that's uh, the point. Like they have a lot of talented wingers too. Right. And I think yeah. they see foodie as a center. So yeah. really it's like, if you can play that 200 foot game and be reliable, I, I don't think there's anything stopping him from being there. Sure. 
But as I just said, they do want him to be a center, and that does take time. So if he's, you know, we're not going to have him your 4C, whereas a guy like Ben Myers probably makes more sense there. Yeah. But I, I, I do think there's a situation where we maybe see him as the 3C to start the year, having a good cap. Um, here's another one. Connor Zari, uh, 2020 first-round pick, Calgary Flames organization, coming off a very solid second-year pro. He's not the fa- flashiest player mm-hmm. offensively, but he plays a trustworthy game. There's a lot of young talent in Calgary. You know, yeah, Jacob Peltier, Matt Coronado, uh, Walter Dewar, even Rosica. Like, there's a lot of names. But the reason I'm putting Zari is I could see him coming out and playing a game that earns the trust of the head coaching staff, gets him into that dress rehearsal game, gets him playing with the big dogs. And from there, maybe being the first call up, and, you know, maybe a Matthew Coronado is in. Calgary, sorry, with the Wranglers for an entire year. I think Zari has a lot of traits that the coaches really, really like. Yeah, for one, they, they you know they know him well, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's now been in the system for a few years at the pro level. Uh, number two, I think Calgary. This is a really good, good selection by you in the sense of like I'm really interested to see with Calgary now that the, you know there's obviously been a coaching change. Seeing some of these young players, I think they're going to get they're going to get more uh, of an opportunity. They're going to get more. Uh, more of a leash, mm-hmm. um, a chance to, to, to show their, you know, selves a little bit, you know, like, again, we're talking about, you know, Matthew Phillips, for example, like, uh, he never really got much of a shot in Calgary with the flames, despite having a ton of success. And, for sure. And, you know, you know, I think, and, you know, you, know, you talk to people, you know, everyone's trying to have their opinion about, about Sutter behind the bench, but, you know, you know, the facts are the facts. Like Daryl Sutter just, you know, he, he didn't play the young guys. Didn't play the young guys, and and, and Craig Conroy said in his for, in his intro press conference as the GM that we're going to be getting some youth in the lineup, and, and that's kind of why I pick Zari because it's like again I, I don't know if he'll make the the final roster, but he could be a September sweetheart where he's a guy where he's like whoa you know he, this guy can play and and you know better yet maybe he does make it to start things out and you know I don't think that Calgary's how do I say this receptiveness to youth. Yeah. is going to change the way they develop or anything. I think that I just think that if a Connor Zari is proving to be better than someone on the PTO, a, mm-hmm. a fourth line grinder guy, I think they'll give him a shot. They'll give him a couple games. Whereas before it seemed like it was genuinely impossible for a Pelletier or a Phillips to, if they even played to, to get the praise of their coach. Like it, it was just, there yeah. wasn't really, there wasn't a path there is the way I would say it. Yeah, it, it sends a good message too, right, to your other prospects. Like, totally. That, hey, there isn't actually, there is an opportunity here. There is a path to the NHL and that you're not just buried down in the AHL no, with no chance of getting a call-up, you know, especially a meaningful call-up. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, you see that a lot, especially with, with you know, some of the more successful NHL clubs is they, they do give the edge to the homegrown player for that reason alone. Right? For sure. It really does, you know. It, it cultivates that that culture that, okay, they're you know we're, we're promoting from within. It's like a mm-hmm. company or any sort of business. Like, it sends a bad message to your employees if you constantly go outside of the company and hire people and never promote from within. So, absolutely, I think it's the same thing with a hockey player. The last one we'll get to is Cole Gutman of the Chicago Blackhawks organization. Here now, here's the thing: there's a lot of roster spots open with the yeah. Blackhawks. The year that they're going to have the guys like him, David Gus, even higher tier guys, Lucas Reichel, the name the list goes on and on. There's going to be a chance there for them to come out and, and take a spot. 
Cole Gutman may not get the recognition that those other guys get. You know, he's a sixth-round pick of Tampa, wasn't signed, uh, played at Denver for four years. Last year in Rockford, there was a lot of nights where he was their best player. And then when he was recalled in the spring to Chicago, he was a difference maker at five on five. He he was able to make an impact. And we talked about this at nauseum, but that kind of that little spring stretch where guys get a a 10 game period or whatever it may be usually does a huge boost their confidence. I think that Gutman could certainly benefit from it. And listen, the path is there for him to take a job if, if he can prove it. Absolutely smart. He's a super smart player, uh, excellent skater. So right off the bat, that's two two great elements of his game to work with. If you're the if you're the Hawks, um, you can plug him in there. Uh, and like you said, he came up and he, he showed really well last year. Um, brings a, a real hardworking mentality. Um, kind of a player that you know if you're if you're a coach, you know you you're Luke Richardson there. You you can put him in there and you can feel pretty secure that. You can rely on him, and I think that's it's, again, it's it's so important for coaches. I can't, I can't really harp on that enough for that reason, just because um, NHL coaches trust is very hard to earn, mm-hmm. right? So it's not uh, something that's you know is easily obtained. But a, a guy like Gutman is just you know he 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 has that that element to him, right? Like he just inspires confidence. Where you mm-hmm. put him in there, and you're like, okay, you know. You, you, here's one thing I don't have to worry about. Right. Like, and, and, you know, like you said, he was a lot of nights Rockford's best player. Um, and you know, he's very versatile and uh, he, he's adaptable too. Right. Like that's the thing I noticed with him. Like you can put him in different situations and he picks things up pretty, pretty quickly. He's a smart guy. And, uh, and I think that translates well on the ice. Let's move over to an idea we talked about in the past a few times, but we haven't really come out with a plan for how it would be executed. And that is the idea of an AHL top prospects game replacing the all-star games. Right. So I mentioned this, like why not have a sort of, instead of the all-star game, have it be like the CHL has a top prospects game where you get there. First of all, it's an honor even getting there. It's filled with scouts. You're playing the best players, the best prospects rather are playing in this competitive game and there's merit to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's what I, I checked in with coaches, players, uh, some of which are members of the PA, uh, scouts and some GMs on this. And I learned a lot um, about the complications, the benefits and whatnot. And I want us to, to bounce it back and forth, the team and player perspective. But here's the first thing that I think we need to make clear. I think if this were to happen to entice both parties, I think the NHL would have to put it on. Mm-hmm. I think it would have to be the NHL top prospects game presented by the AHL because the way that the team's going to get enticed is big time sponsorship money, right? For this kind of event. And I think that it would have to become sort of that element um, to really take place. So here's the first question I'll ask you from the team perspective, injury risk is big, but what would you think about this idea of a top prospects game? And is there even any benefit for teams? It's a good question. Representative from each team. Round robin, three day period. Um, you hope they compete, but can become a media event, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, baseball does something similar mm-hmm. um, with their top prospects, the futures game. Uh, now, obviously, baseball is a little bit different because you don't have that same level of injury risk. Totally. Uh, so that's that's a challenge for sure. I think it would depend. I think some teams 
there would be definitely something in, in there. Like, especially if let's say you're a rebuilding NHL team and, and you don't have a lot going for going for you at the NHL level, but you have your prospects down, down in the NHL and you're, you're trying to ge- generate some enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, okay, here's our next wave. You know, here's, here's hope on the horizon. Well, this is a good way to kind of put some of that talent in the spotlight. So I mm-hmm. think from the, for a team like that, there would be a lot of appeal. I think for other teams where, you know, they, they're a little bit more conservative in how they do things, or they're just not in a place where they have to, to generate that enthusiasm. I think probably a tougher sell in that regard, but I, I find your idea extremely intriguing and uh, certainly worth exploring. Here's my question for you. Do you think, cause you would know this better than me talking to a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. While I think anecdotally from guys I've talked to, some of the you know perennial all stars. So like I'm trying to think, you know, the Logan Shaws, the um, Riley Nashes from last year. I'm thinking of those guys that were were there. Maybe I don't know this definitively. Any of those guys, maybe they would like to have the time off and not go to an all star game. Maybe to be with their families. But do you think that maybe taking away the all star game in its current format would maybe go too much of the developmental focus ideal and maybe turn off some older players and like you know delegitimize the merit of the league itself yeah i mean i think they're you know having you know over over the years a lot of veterans it means a lot like you know it's an honor for them you know like i I think a lot of players you get into your early 30s and you've been kicked around a lot um you don't get necessarily your time in the spotlight very often and so here's here's kind of a recognition for you that like hey you know yeah you still have value. We still, um, we still think you're pretty great. And, uh, you know, they bring their families with them. It can be, it can be a, a real fun event for them in that sense. Uh, other, obviously other veterans. Yeah. Some of them would just like to time off. Maybe you could combine, combine the events, right? You do a young stars tournament and then an all-star game. Yeah. You know, and, and, and do it that way. And then you kind of, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Right. And, and, and you then, you bring more of a spotlight, um, obviously, than to, to the whole event as a whole, which mm-hmm. is tough because it's right in the middle of the season. You got the NHL playing, um, you know, if you know in the Olympic years, then you have the Olympics starting to go on, right? Like, and you know, if at some point the NHL ever brings about the World Cup or something like it, which we talked it, that would be in February, which is right around. So, like, you're competing against a lot of, you know, a lot of other events and saturation of hockey. So if there's a way that you can, yeah, if you can put a little bit more luster into it, sure. I think anything would be worth exploring. I mean, yeah, I just think that for the idea to really work, the players would have to go hundred percent. I don't think they would, but they, they wouldn't. So then it'd be, well, but then it becomes, I I guess it becomes twofold. Like, is there a, is there a benefit for these guys? Like I, like the way I envisioned this was that it would be like a top prospects game where you're trying to prove something. Right. And it, it's, if you make it like an honor and you make it this thing where the angel presents it, it's a big thing on the big stage. Maybe you guys would go a hundred percent. Like, I think that's the best thing. Cause then also double-edged sword, it becomes a media event. You've got all these amazing U23 prospects in one place. And sure. Would it be fun to do a skills competition? Yeah, but like, look at how the NFL has the Pro Bowl. They have these these things where, or 
the combine, right? Like that's mm-hmm. not how hockey really works. Like you need to have, in my opinion, for hockey, they need to try this best on best thing. They haven't had it at the world level. And even in the the prospect range, we haven't had a best on best type tournament. You have the world juniors, but then after that, it kind of fizzles out. Like why not sure. have the best under 23 year old players kind of all together? I think it, it would be really cool um, on a lot of fronts. Well, I think as far as going hard, so all right, at the CHL level for the top prospects game, the incentive yeah. obviously is, is the draft, right? That's that's the motivating factor, right? Like exactly. You're trying to, you're trying, I mean, I mean, not that it's going to make or break you, but you know, it's just one little, one more little thing that you can do to you know, add a little bit luster you know, to your name. Sure. Same thing in the HL in, in a different sense is sure, you've been drafted at least for the most part, you know, all your prospects have been drafted. A few of them are college regions, but you certainly, you're not in the NHL yet. Um, so you still have a lot to prove. And what if and you make a money prize, make a cash prize. Money's always an enticement, right? hundred yeah, percent. You know, especially, you know, a lot of guys on the ELCs are, you know, they're not making six figure salaries. So exactly. Sure. <laughs> you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of people would be motivated, you know, I, I don't know you pick a number but put a cash prize out there yeah uh money motivates do you think the pa would sign off on this i think if uh because remember the pa sorry to be clear the phpa i think yeah yeah so that's the majority of those guys are not prospects right so well no everybody in the everybody in the ho is no no no. sorry no of course i'm saying that the majority of phpa members are not on elc's correct uh, well, or no, maybe. anybody in the HL is, is a member. Yes, but I'm PHPA. saying, absolutely. I'm saying in within the PHPA, it's not just all guys on ELCs. Do you mean like on the, the executive committee? Or even just members of it because they'd be voting, wouldn't they? Yes, you could put up for a vote. I mean, I think. Are you, are you saying the exact? Oh, sorry. You're saying the executive committee would probably be the one signing off on it. Well, it just they're they're the veterans and, and they kind of, yeah, they, they drive a lot of the. And that's you know, the question. Do Would they sign off on it? And with the thinking being that they'd be like, you know what, we'll take the time off and that's fine our schedule. Or do you think that there would be pushback given the what we've isolated of the All-Star game? I think if the young guys want to go for it, I don't think there would be too much pushback, especially if you could combine the events. And, yeah, I guess you're right. A whole, whole big, you know, Angel Palooza kind of thing. I mean, And it's like you always see guys named the All-Star game that a lot of the time if they're in the NHL, they come back for it. But sure. why not? You name the All-Star teams. If someone is U23 player, they're named, but then they'll be replaced by someone else because they'll be playing at the Young Stars tournament. Um, you could even go under 22, though I think that would dilute the the player pool a bit. So maybe let's stick with the under 23 idea. Um, I think it'd be a hit. Like I think there would be a lot of scouts, a lot of fanfare. And when's the All-Star game? February? Early February, typically. Yeah, usually that, that week between the, like the, the Super Bowl. Right, leading up to the Super Bowl, so it's, it's a great off. gauge for where your prospects are at, and yeah. to have and to have it be an honor and something that players are looking forward to, I think it'd be fantastic. Well, it, yeah. What would be the downside? I guess. Well, the downside would be from whose perspective, player or team? From the overall business. The aspect. business. Well, there's a question of, and this is brought to me by agents: Is does, would this hypothetical idea constitute as hockey? Uh, related revenue, like for the cap, like could this revenue that comes in from it help raise the cap? Essentially, I mean, that's to be determined. That would depend on host. how much the NHL is involved. Exactly. Um, I guess there, that's an element, but I mean, 
I don't think it's going to make or break. I guess from the team perspective, it'd probably be like, mm, what's the benefit? Like, why? Unless there's a proven formula that will garner money and attention to it, sure. Well, you don't um, you try. Absolutely. I mean, do you, how do you think the independent teams would feel? You know, I mean, the independently owned teams? Yeah, I don't think that they'd feel negatively because... No, like, they, have, they have their own prospects. And they'd love to have exposure to, to their... Sure. You know, like a Syracuse, right? Like, they'd, it'd still be great for them to have a Tampa prospect. Just because they're independently owned doesn't mean there's a great no, partnership think, there. Yeah, no, I don't think that would matter at all. I think uh, everybody, I mean, if you have prospects, you have prospects. I mean, you know, I mean... The downside overall probably would be just injury risk. Would be, but there's that in every game. No, I, I every every single game, right? That you no, I know. 70, Seventy-two games schedule. You play two months of playoffs. I mean, injuries happen anytime. Maybe. I think I think you're right. I think the po- potential positives, notwithstanding logistics that would go into it, the positives outweigh any negative. The idea of having this league and what you know, the BHL always puts out. You know, eighty-eight percent of players have played in the AHL. You see the big names are on there. That's a big part of this league's fabric. To have a, an event that would really cultivate that part of what the league is, I think would be fantastic. Exactly. I, I think it's a, it's a really smart idea. I think, especially if you get, you know, a, a lot of times, like, so there's so much hype around players 18 when they're drafted. Yeah. And then and it fizzles. With, yeah. With, with the way things are structured. It, totally. You don't hear a whole lot about, unless you're like, like we are at this level, they kind of vanish for two, three, four years till it's a great point. They show up at the NHL level. If they show up there, Here's a chance to sort of reacquaint your casual fan with, okay, so and so is a first round pick a couple of years back. Well, here he is now. He's an HL rookie. Here's what he's doing. Or better yet, and you're totally right. But can you imagine like you're also looking at the the players that were a fourth round pick, fifth round pick that maybe were the World Juniors, maybe they weren't, but that they've mm-hmm. really rapidly improved. You're talking about under 23, some of the best players in the world. Like that would be fantastic hockey. I yeah. think it'd be like it'd be such a good product in so many ways. You'd, I think what we've concluded is you'd have to incentivize it. You'd have to, I think you'd have to keep the spirit of the all-star game for the league. I think we've determined this would be a, a part of it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, I mean, look at World Junior. I mean, there was a time where the World Junior Championship was not a big deal. Absolutely. TSN's the reason. It, it, TSN took it over, you know, and, and they made it an event, right? And they made it a tradition. And now obviously it is what it, you know, it's the, the behemoth that it is today, but there was a time where literally it was just, you know, basically for hockey nerds and, you know, hundred percent watch it. And I think you're right. There's potential here to make this a big marquee event. Yeah. And it would put the HL on more people's spotlight because I, I can't tell you how often it drives me up the wall, but how often people really underestimate the league. And I mean, I've had people ask like, you know, you know, do, do they accept people on, on tryouts? Like, no, <laughs> no, this is this is a top top tier this league, is not right? Slap shot. This once, is not- yeah, one step below the NHL, like regular players crossing back and forth between the two leagues. Like, it's a high level league. Why not show it more? Uh, expose it to, to, to different fans. And there's also the element too, where you know how the NHL draft. It's great. Yeah, I've never been. I know you've been before, right? Yeah, a couple times. Um, I know that as much as it's a big event for the draft it's also kind of a a celebration and a, a a gathering of all league personnel this could also forge that this could also be another one of those milestone events in february yeah. and also when you have this the timing's pretty good it's before the deadline 
top prospect blue chip guy, let's say that they're in trade talks, this is your time to show it. Top yeah. prospect that's there and requests a trade, this is your time to show it. And for scouting too, director of scouting, you can circle that with a big fat red pen. This is yeah. going to be, and you can break it up into those chunks, like how they play before this, after this, whatever. I think it would work in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a player, why would you, why would you turn down any chance for extra bit of exposure? Right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't. There's no reason to. I mean, hundred percent. I guess the question is you ha- like, would they go a hundred percent? Well, if you don't, it's going to show. Do you want to be the guy out there not going hundred percent? If, if I, you're are? right, I think it would, you're right. It'd be a monkey see monkey do kind of thing. Right? Um, like You don't want to be the guy out there, especially if you're trying to make an impression. Yeah. Out there gliding while everyone else is going, you know, I mean, so. Well, and you look at it too, in the NBA, they have the G league and they have that team of, of youngsters in there. Yeah. Right. And it's like that as the G league has evolved, that's kind of been a big thing with it. Think that anything in conclusion, anything that, will really bring out those tier of players, that tier of, of elite talent is a good thing for everyone involved. And Hey, maybe, maybe we we're onto something here and, and we're, I, we're starting this. I think we are. I think presented by the hockey news. Um, all right. So we're going to cap it off here. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening and uh, hearing our workshop brainstorming session. Um, we are not on the executive committee, so this is all just hypothetical, um, but we'll, we'll see you next week as we, feature part two of our September sweethearts start to tee up the season and and much more. Thanks for listening guys.